Good morning, everyone. Shabbat Shalom. Moses compiled 11 genealogies in the book of Genesis. The parasha for this Shabbat is entitled Toldot, which is translated Generations, Histories, or Descendants. And this parasha covers the ninth of these genealogies of Toldot, which is the account of the generations of Isaac. And it covers Genesis chapter 25, verse 19, and goes to uh, chapter 28, verse 9. Isaiah's wife, Rebecca, like Sarah before her, had trouble conceiving. And Isaac had learned from Abraham's, I'm sorry, Isaac had learned from Abraham the painful mistake of trying to help the Lord in what happened with Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael. Isaac was determined not to repeat that mistake. So rather than take matters into his own hands, he did what all of us should do. He sought counsel from the Lord. Verse 21 says that Isaac prayed to Adonai on behalf of Rebekah. Sarah and Abraham had waited 25 years for Isaac, and Rebekah and Isaac would wait 20 years. Waiting on the Lord is an act of faith, not faith in an outcome that we dictate to God, but rather complete trust in God to guide in the right way at the right time according to his will, and that it will end up for our good and for his glory. So after 20 years of marriage, Rebecca became pregnant. Her pregnancy was especially painful, and the Lord told her that it was due to her carrying twins in her womb, which were representing two nations. And as Rabbi Paul would later attest, before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, Rebecca was told that the younger would, I'm sorry, that the older would serve the younger. And God appointed that Jacob the younger would inherit the covenant promise before the boys were even born. And this reminds us that God is sovereign and he chooses as he wills. In his omniscience, Adonai foresaw that Esau would prove uninterested in spiritual things. Rebekah gave birth to the twins. One was a red hairy boy named Esau and Jacob followed clutching his brother's heel. Esau became a hunter while Jacob was one who enjoyed staying close to his father's camp and he assisted his mother with various tasks. One day Esau came home from the field hungry and pleaded with Jacob to give him some of the stew that he was cooking. And Jacob agreed to Esau's request in exchange for his birthright. And Esau agreed. Jacob didn't have to bargain for this birthright, though. God had already promised it to him. How often do we attempt to manipulate people and circumstances to get what we want? instead of wisely trusting God to work things out in his way and in his time. When we do this, we treat things of great spiritual value in profane or crafty ways, and it usually ends up ending pretty bad. In chapter 26, uh, we're told that there was a famine in Canaan, and Isaac intended to escape the famine by traveling through Philistia to Egypt. But Adonai told him to remain in Philistia, so he settled in Gerar. And God also informed Isaac that he would visit upon him all the blessings that he had promised to his father Abraham. Even though Isaac was heir to the land that God swore to Abraham, it didn't mean that life in the land would be without trouble or without challenge. As there was a famine in Abraham's time, so too was there a famine in Isaac's day. So Gerar was the same place where his father Abraham delivered a, or I'm sorry, Gerar was the same place where his father Abraham deceived a Abimelech, and almost compromised his wife. And this chapter tells a similar story, 
similar both in the way that Abraham and Isaac acted and the way that God acted. It's interesting to note that the term Abimelech was a title and not a personal name. So this is why Abraham and Isaac each dealt with a king named Abimelech. He wasn't just a dirty old man. Uh, the Philistine king discovered that Rebekah was Isaac's wife, and though he, re he reprimanded Isaac, he issued a decree that no one should harm them. While in Philistia, Isaac sowed crops and enjoyed a supernaturally large harvest. Isaac became increasingly wealthy, and the Philistines became increasingly resentful of his wealth. Abimelech finally asked him to leave, and Isaac complied, moving away from the city and settling in the Gerar Valley. Chapter 26 concludes by informing us that Esau, when he was 40 years of age, married two Hittite women, and it sorely displeased his parents. In chapter 27, Isaac, now advanced in age and nearly blind, summoned Esau and told him that he wanted to convey the patriarchal blessing on him. But first, he should go to the field and hunt some game for him to eat. Rebekah heard this conversation and advised Jacob to disguise himself as Esau and trick his father into blessing him instead. Rebekah prepared the meat and gave it to Jacob to bring to his father. She also took hairy goatskins and she put it on Jacob's smooth arms and his neck. And Jacob approached his father, presented himself as Esau and Isaac at the meal that Rebekah had prepared. So Isaac blessed Jacob with the dew of the heaven and the fat of the earth and granted him mastery over his brother. No sooner had the blessing been confirmed when Esau arrived from the field, only to be told by his father, who now understood what had transpired, that the blessing was already given to his younger brother. Esau was furious and he pleaded with his father, but Isaac had no blessing to confer on him only a prophecy that he would dwell away from the fatness of the earth and live by his sword. Esau was determined to kill Jacob, but Rebekah, who found out about his plans, asked Isaac to send Jacob to Haran to find a wife, and so Isaac did so, and blessed Jacob again before he departed. Isaac sent Jacob to his brother-in-law Laban's home to marry one of his daughters. But what none of them knew was that Jacob would be gone for many, many years and Rebekah would never see her son again. Meanwhile, wanting to please his parents despite what had happened, Esau married again, and this time he married a daughter of Ishmael rather than another Hittite. And this is where this portion of the Parsha scripture ends. I'd like to close on a few thoughts. Men, we should learn from Isaac's example and pray for our wives and our children. Adonai has given us the awesome responsibility of being the priests and and prophets of our families. It's our responsibility to stand in the gap and to intercede on our family's behalf. Is your house in order? Are you carrying out your priestly duties and asking God to forgive not only your sins, but the sins of your family members? Are you interceding on their behalf? I know that before writing this parasham, I wasn't doing a good job of regularity, but the good news for me and whoever, whoever else here that this applies to is that if we're ready to make a commitment to Adonai to step up and embrace the biblical role of a husband and a father, Yeshua is ready to strengthen and embolden us to be successful. I've never really understood the actions of either brother. Jacob deceived Isaac into giving him a blessing that God had already said was his, and Esau wanted to kill his brother over an inheritance that he had given away years before in exchange for a bowl of stew. 
Jacob should have patiently allowed God to work out this problem. God would have certainly overruled the situation with or without Isaac's help. However, Jacob's sin was not really a sin of greed or blackmail, but rather a lack of faith. His presumption was in thinking that God needed help in order to fulfill his word. Rebecca, too, thought that God needed her help, and look what it cost her. And a lot of times we, too, are guilty of this impatience. We take God at his word, but we frequently will not wait for his timing. And the result is that we bring unexpected trouble upon others and upon ourselves. The question for us is whether we're willing to learn from the pain that Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca suffered. Let's leave all the timing and positioning to God because he has a far bigger picture of any given situation than any of us ever could. The term God implies perfection in all things. He is infinitely perfect in his will and his ways and also in his timing. Rather than think that we can help God out, we should remember and just surrender the things that cause us anxiety to him and then redouble our focus in reading and meditating on his word. The three-in-one God of Israel has promised to keep in perfect peace and shalom those whose minds are steadfast on him. So no matter what happens in your life, if you love God and are among those who are called according to his purpose, he's going to work your situation out for your ultimate good and his glory. But let's learn to wait on his timing. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Shabbat shalom.